0: And uh, John, chapter thirteen. John, chapter thirteen. Some of this will come up on the screens if you don't have uh, a Bible on your phone or a uh, what do you call that? Paper version, <laughs> a real Bible. But um, I want to give today a, a different take on a very uh, popular or commonly read passage of Scripture here. Um, the where I want to get to is verse three, but I'm going to start from verse one of John 13 just to give it some context. Uh, and it says, "It says this now before the feast of the Passover." John 13, verse one. When Jesus knew that his hour had come and that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Verse 2, John 13 says, "And supper being ended, the devil having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Verse 3, let's see if this comes up here on, on the screens. If it doesn't, if you could just bring up that. Next slide, there it is. Verse 3 says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. Everyone say feet. He washed the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? And Jesus answered and said to him, what I'm doing, you do not understand, but you will know after this. In verse 8, Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. If you're taking notes this morning, I've entitled this message, Clean Feet. Clean Feet. Let me just pray. Father, I thank you for... Just these moments, precious moments that we have together before we really launch out into our week. I pray, God, that this message from your word, your heart, would speak to us, would change us from the inside. We're not interested in outward change. We're interested in change from the inside, moving out. And so I pray, God, would you speak to us this morning by your Spirit, that we really would change where it matters in your mighty name. When, uh, amen when um when Kent and I uh, first arrived in Fiji a few few uh, weeks back, the flight to Lombasa, which is on another island where we were going to be spending all of our time the flight there was daily and we'd missed the first flight and so we had to stay in one of these beachside resorts near the airport and I know it, it was a struggle it's just uh, it's just missions work it's tough you know suffering for jesus and all, and all that kind of stuff and so we had just one one night there, and 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 uh, as part of as part of the deal, they gave us a free thirty minute foot massage. And so, uh, if you know me uh, really well, you'll know as Kent quickly discovered, I'm not a big fan of people touching my feet. Like, I don't like touching other people's feet, and I'm not a big fan of people touching my feet, right? And and so, but it was free, and and Kent's really into this kind of stuff, like. He was just like, come on, let's get there now. I like, oh, all right then. <laughs> and, so, and so we head over there, and so here, here are the two of us. We're in this, in this uh, fancy massage room, sitting beside each other in these big fancy chairs, with two older Fijian women at our feet telling us about all of the oils and all of the special lotions that they're about to rub into my toes. And we're going, man, I am just not there. I, and I'm uh, thinking, this feels really awkward, it feels kind of uncomfortable, kind of almost wanted to lean over and just grab Kent's hand and, you know, but just, uh, it was a special time, wasn't it? We, we really bonded over that, but, but um, I was very uncomfortable, but for the next 30 minutes, I had my toes massaged and squelched together like, uh, with all sorts of fancy stuff, coconut oils and lavender, and there may have been flower petals in the water, I didn't look down, it's, um, as I was sitting there uh, going through this, I don't know. It's tough. <laughs> I, uh, I couldn't help but think of poor old Peter here in in John thirteen, about to have his feet washed too, and his reaction to that. You know, Peter didn't seem to be a foot guy either, right? He was a little adverse to having Jesus Jesus wash wash his feet he 's like, Wait a minute jesus are you are you about to wash my feet is this how this is this is going to go and and Jesus is like, yeah but it 's going to make sense it 's going to make a whole lot of sense and Peter replies, No way, no way Jesus you will never wash my feet it ain 't going it ain 't going to happen and many of you will be familiar with the account you've you read it a lot you heard different messages on it've it uh, 's a very popular passage in the imagery of Jesus Going low is, is quite a powerful thing. It, it's often the example that we use, the illustration that we use for servant leadership. You know, Christian leadership shouldn't be lording it over people, but serving people and, and seeing their gifts come to life. And, and so, but it was the job of the servant. And so we see Peter not wanting to have his own feet washed by Jesus, not because he didn't like his toes being touched, but perhaps because it was the job of a servant, not, not the master, that should have been the other way around. And Peter's going, man, what, what, what's going on here? What, what's going on? How, how, can, how could I let this happen? And I want to suggest to you that there is actually probably more going on here than just this example of servanthood, though that's really important. I just want to spend a little bit of time on this this morning. You see, the disciples were about to go through some storms. Things were about to get really tough for them, like kind of the next day. Jesus would soon be arrested by the Pharisees. He would be tortured by the Romans. He would be hung on a cross and crucified. And all of this was coming up really fast. This was just about to happen. And Jesus had some concerns about their ability, the disciples' ability to cope when the pressure came on, when things really counted when the heat was about to be turned up. And and he, I reckon, had been noticing some things about the disciples that he wasn't sure of, that were perhaps a concern to him, some of the things that he could see, maybe into their heart. And so, as well as this demonstration of servanthood, which I do believe it was, but I think Jesus used this foot washing ceremony as an ideal time to inspect their feet and check their walk. How were they really doing? What was really going on in their hearts? And he wanted to check their feet. And it's interesting, interesting, isn't it, that of all of the disciples to have their feet washed, it was Peter who was the most reluctant. He's like, no, you will not wash my feet. Don't don't touch my toes. And either Peter didn't really, he really didn't like his feet being touched or he was hiding something about his walk. A few years ago, many years ago, before I was married, I was studying, and there was a mall in Pororua City, and we would go there for lunch often in those big open food court areas, you know, the ones, lots of tables, lots of people around, and one of my my friends had just come back to our table from the restroom, and he was laughing, giggling away, like, what's what's so funny? And, And he goes, he explained to us that he just followed this guy out of the restroom, and He was following behind him, walking down this this narrow corridor that led to the open food court area. And the guy who he was following, just walking behind, didn't know that he was behind him. And the funny thing was that this, this guy walked in a completely normal manner down this corridor, just, you know, normal like we would walk. And as soon as he got out of that corridor into that public food court area, his walk suddenly changed from this to this and and my friend who was behind me was like whoa and then just cracked up laughing and uh, that he'd suddenly changed the, his walk. You see, he had two walks. He had two different walks depending on the setting that he was in, two different walks depending on the environment, depending on who he was in that particular place, one for private and, and one for the public. And we read a little later in this passage in John 13 that Jesus is questioning Peter's since seemingly sincere words, that he would follow Jesus anywhere. It says in verse uh, in verse 37, Peter asks God, he, he says to him, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I'll lay my life down for you. I'm ready to die for you, Jesus. I'll do whatever it takes. I'll do anything. You're the man. I am your servant. I'll, I'll, you're, you can count on me. And then verse 38, Jesus responds to me. He says, really, Peter? Really? Because guess what? i just seen your feet. I just checked your feet a few moments ago. And there's something not quite right. He goes on to say, will you lay down your life for my sake? Because I tell you the truth, the rooster shall not crow till you have denied me three times. So there was something going on here, right? There was this disparity. There was this duality between these, these walks what Peter was declaring in the comfort of friends. You know, maybe it was like this. I'll do anything for you, God. But when it came down to it, he was... Walk in a t- totally different walk. Wouldn't match what he would say later in public when the heat came on, he had two walks. And we can kind of, often, particularly about Peter, we can roll our eyes at him a little bit. <laughs> Peter! <laughs> you know, we can scoff, scoff at him, at his failure to match with his walk, what his mouth was confessing, right? But the challenge is on all of us. As followers of Christ, to walk circumspectly, to walk in transparency, to walk authentically, to ensure that we too don't have a foot problem. Amen. Ephesians 5, uh, verse 15, it, it it tells us to pay careful attention then how you walk. Pay careful attention to how you walk. Because I found it's really easy if we don't allow Jesus to check our feet from time to time if we don't allow Jesus, our Savior and our Lord, our Master and our King to stoop low and check our feet, to check my my feet, I'll get a foot problem. I'll end up walking in two different ways depending on the environment around me. I've said some things to God. I've been like, man, I'll do anything for you, God. I'll I'll go anywhere. Fiji was great too, if you wanna see me back there. I'll, I'll go anywhere that you want me to. And then later I've thought, man, I hope he doesn't take me up on that. <laughs> so, yeah. but Jesus had a lot to say about people with foot problems. He had, a lot, he had a lot of heavy stuff to say to people who had two different walks. He kind of laid into Peter a little there. and He was particularly vocal to those who were of the religious fraternity. About this in Matthew 23. Verse 27, woe to you, teachers of the law. It's the religious law. Woe to you, Pharisees, you're hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs who look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside, two walks. You are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Jesus is talking about their walk, looking cool. Yeah. But actually, what's really going on is something completely different. That word hypocrite, looked at this a little, is derived from the Greek word hypocrisis, And it actually means to act. To be a hypocrite means is that you're, you're acting. And so in the, in, uh, in the ancient sort of Greek Roman times, there were theaters there and the actors were known as hypocrites. That was what they were called, and there was no negative connotation to that label. If you were an actor, you were a hypocrite. It was a a good thing, and if you were a really good hypocrite, it was a compliment on how well you could perform, and so a hypocrite was always clearly recognized because in the theaters, they would always wear these masks right, to disguise themselves. And and I'm not sure if it was Jesus who first uses this word in a negative sense, maybe, maybe not, but he saw this parallel between those who acted as a profession and wore masks and those who lived inauthentically and wore figurative, figurative masks on their faces. And the problem with masks, if you wear them for long enough, is that they stick, You get used to them, right? Figurative masks I'm talking about. One French uh, poet, and I can't pronounce his name, so I'm not even going to try He says this, we all wear masks. And the time comes when we cannot remove them without removing some of our own skin. Because what happens is we become so accustomed to disguising ourselves that Disguising ourselves to other people that in the end we even become disguised to our own, our own identity. You know, one of the great criticisms of Christianity is hypocrisy, right? You've heard a lot out in the world that we're just, we're not living up to what we preach or not practicing what we preach. And there's been a lot of, you know really epic failures from the church to kind of prove that point, that you were claiming to be this thing, but, but we're not. But you know what? I think the greater tragedy, worse than that, is that not that we're falling short of some high standard, but, we're not, but that we're portraying to, to the world this image which is actually just a veneer. It's not actually real. It's not going on on, on the inside of us. It's full of pretense. That's the greater tragedy because we put on ourselves this expectation that in coming to Christ, we all of a sudden have become perfect. Any perfect people here this morning? Great, I was going to ask you to pray for me. Yeah, right on. Innocent little baby. We put on this expectation and anything less than that's kind of not acceptable. And Listen, there is a moral standard that we ought to be living up to, that we are representing, and yes, we should uphold these things, but we kind of, if we are not careful, we give little place to the journey of getting free. And the process of freedom having its way in us and allowing that process to have its way, and where that doesn't exist, there becomes like this dishonor in disclosing faults to one another. There's humiliation in confessing shortfalls. There is shame in acknowledging weakness to one people. We're like, hey, I've got a bit of a limp. My walk's a little off. But we just try and do some other kind of look, you know. And to avoid the shame, we pretend everything's good. We put on masks and we say, I'm fine. when we're everything but, right? There becomes this duality of living where our walk differs depending on our environment. And I just feel God saying, Come on, make sure you got clean feet. When you have one walk, one walk, walk authentically. I walk one way in one setting, do we walk another in another way? One of the most refreshing things I ever heard from the pulpit, and I've kind of said it a lot of times myself from this pulpit was, Hey, I'm not okay, you're not okay, it's okay. I'm not okay. You're not okay. It's okay. It's okay. It's all right. In other words, Jesus isn't ashamed of you. There's no condemnation in Christ. He's already answered for your shortfall. He has a solution for that. He's not terrified of your mistakes. He can handle it. He is the solution. He doesn't want you to stay in that place, but it's, it's all right. It's okay. But the church could be like, hey, don't mention the S word. That's sin, by the way, Right? <laughs> Some of you are thinking other stuff. Yeesh. Like the church can be, hey, listen, this is where we come and whoop, whoop, we do our happy, clappy stuff. and We don't really want to know how you know difficult a challenge in your life is. We just want you to smile and wave, right? Just be happy people. And if you do sin, please just hide it from us because we don't want to have to deal with that. We don't have to think about it, right? You know, I'm, I'm not talking about us, some other places, but, you know, I'm thinking about this. You know what? Our churches, and I'm thinking about next year for us, Aspire, as we move into community. Things are going to get messy, right? We've got to get used to this. The church should be a place full of broken, dirty, messed up people. It should be. But by the blood of Christ who's made us righteous. And it should be the place for the cracked up and the conked out and the confused coming to find life and freedom. It's got... Not in the, I'm not negating the, 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 the reality of living a victorious life through the empowering of the Holy Spirit and being made free from sin. It is a glorious thing to know I'm in right standing with God. And I'm doing, but but make, make it obvious that it's because of the power of God in us, not through our own doing, you know? Strange proverb time. Proverbs 14.4, Without oxen, a stable stays clean but you need a strong ox for a large harvest. I've heard someone say that from that proverb, that's what they call the manure principle. Ox and poop, they make a lot of mess, right? But without them, nothing gets done. And so it's like in the kingdom of God, it, it gets advanced by people who just happen to also make messes from time to time. And it's naive to expect great things without having to clean up messes, right? We're gonna be going into some messy times, Messy people. I'm not, we're not moving our church to reach Christians. I just, if you didn't know that, right? Like, that's not my heart. I believe God's calling us to reach the community who don't know Christ. That's why, actually, that is the reason why I believe he's calling us to do this. And so we gotta get used to mess. We gotta gotta get used to mess being okay. We gotta get used to our own mess, right? And, and, And so poop happens, right? I think I've seen that on his bumper sticker. (laughs) <laughs> it's life. Poop happens. We step in poop. We get poop on us sometimes. Sometimes it sticks. Sometimes we get clean of one thing and then we step in something else, right? And, and, but listen, God is the great pooper scooper. Oh, right? He, he's the great stain remover. He's the one who can clean that off us. Whoop whoop. He does. John 8, I'm really relaxed. <laughs> you would be too if you have been doing nothing for the last, anyway, John eight thirty two. Jesus said, know the truth, just know him, know the truth, and the truth shall what? Set you free. Do you know, it's probably only the NIV that says set you free, most of us read that, most of the other versions say the truth shall make you free, the truth shall make you free, and Set free and made free, it kind of has a different connotation. One puts a greater value on process and not in a moment. I believe spiritually we are set free. When we receive Christ, There is, we receive his perfect record. Done. We're no longer sinners. We have the righteousness of Christ. But there is a process for us to kind of catch up to what God's already done. And, and he will make us, make you free. You're free and you're being made free. And when we encourage an environment which gives no place to journey, no place to process, when we're afraid to ask for help, when we can't confess our sins to one another like the book of James actually tells us to or because of fear of of disgrace or it's easy to put on a mask and to be real, guess what? We're a church that has a foot problem. We're a church that has two walks. And I don't believe as we move, God willing, next year into community, and he wants us to be like that at, in any way, any shape. I want to just look at, just quickly, I don't know what time it is, but uh, I want to look at three myths that often each of us as individuals, and I know I've been guilty of this too, have led to believe when it comes to my walk. And I want to look at three truths that will, three truths that compel us to live authentic lives. Are you ready for this? All right, myth number one. Myth number one that causes me to have two walks is this. I must be an exemplary example. I, I must be an exemplary example. You must live up to this perhaps unattainable standard to show the world that you're Christ-like, right? And, and, and so we get into this kind of performance wheel of striving, and and you know excellence is a good thing, but perfection actually is demoralizing. When we're trying to be perfect; it just demoralizes us. Perfection is an endless pursuit. It's Christ who's making us perfect, not not our own strength. The apostle Paul said, "Not that I have already attained or already perfected. I'm not there yet." Paul said, "But I press on. I see a goal of the prize of this upward call, which is Christ Jesus. That's what I'm heading towards." It's not perfection, but perseverance that we should be looking at. And that means getting up again. Stand and poop, shake it off, get up, start walking again. Stand and more poop, shake it off, get up, get help, move move on. Paul went on to say, God's strength has been made perfect in my weakness. His witness to the world wasn't tainted by the fact that he may not have had it all together. Listen, if God can use a murdering Pharisee, turn him into a super apostle, and despite having a thorn in his flesh, can write most of the New Testament, I reckon he can use every single one of you. Right where you're at, right now. No, one, no one's perfect. That's why pencils have erasers, Right? <laughs> And and I think imperfect people are God's specialty, right? He He loves He loves this, and He He loves you too much not to let you stay that way, but you got to let Him check your feet. Myth number two. Myth number two is: Listen, if I if I appear okay, I'll be okay. It'll be okay. If I look good, if if, if, if the appearance is great, then then that's 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 the important thing. And It's this kind of belief, I guess, it's this myth that things will just magically work themselves out out if I kind of keep up appearances. And you and I know that real change takes place in the heart, right? External change is the result of internal truth being outworked from the inside out. Listen, don't kid yourself. Don't kid yourself that it's gonna happen any other way. It takes more effort to pretend to be a hypocrite than it does just being you. That's why actors get paid so well, right? Someone told me that Tom Cruise got paid like forty million dollars one year for acting. Pretending to be someone else. Unless someone's giving you that kind of money, why pretend? Like <laughs> that seems like a whole lot of hard work for nothing. But we gotta know that it's a change of heart that leads to a change of actions, right? It's a change on the inside that leads to change on the outside. Don't ever fall into the trap or believe in the lie of this myth that it happens the other way around. Myth number three. Myth number three, this is a good one. You know, no one will love me if they knew the real me. If they knew what was really going on, if they could really see my feet, the condition of my feet, then they're not going to love me. They're not going to like me. They're not going to want to spend any time with me. And This is a biggie, right? It's about shame. People really knew. George Shaw, he is, is an author. He says this, not on the screens. We live in an atmosphere of shame. We are ashamed of everything that is real about us, ashamed of ourselves, of our relatives, of our incomes, of our accents, of our opinion, of our experience, just as we are ashamed of our naked skins. And i found that the uh, the adverse uh, our adversary, the, his greatest tool, the devil's greatest tool is to keep things in our lives hidden. And in the dark, you know, kept kept quiet, kept secret, kept 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 concealed. And how many know that with that comes shame, and comes restriction, and comes hindrance, and ineffectiveness, and fruitfulness, and misery, and more pain. But when we bring our weaknesses into the light, right, and you know, it, it, the power that the enemy has over us is loosed. It's let go by the things that he, the hold that he has over us is diffused. And we find people that we know and we trust. And I'm not talking about coming up the front and confessing your faults to, I'm talking about one or two key people. It's why it's so important to be in a hub, to be around a group of people who you know, trust you and love you and have your best interests at heart and walk with them and have them walk with you and you, you with them and disclose Realize we've been accepted by God's unconditional love. Woo-hoo-hoo. And when we when we foster as a church community an environment where we demonstrate that same unconditional love to others so that when they say, I'm struggling, we go, been there, man. I know exactly what you're going through. Let me help you. That becomes a powerful thing. And we say, it's okay. Man, I'm not going to judge. It's all right. Let's do this together. I'm going to walk with you. Let's get through this. Time for some truths. Truth number one, be real to yourself. Be real to yourself. You don't need to pretend to be someone else. Psalm 139 says, I have been made, fearfully and wonderfully made. It's Kenton, in our key scripture for the week that we we were at NCTC, telling the kids they're amazing. God's thoughts towards them are incredible. They're unique. Bit of a cliche quote, you were born an original, don't die a copy, right? Someone once said, always be a first-rate version of yourself instead of a second-rate version of somebody else. Because how many know you, no one can do you like you can do you? Right? Don't suppress your God-given identity. Use it to reach out to people just like you. I've said this before. If you're a little strange, reach strange people, right? If you're a little quirky, reach the quirky people. There's a lot of weird people here. <laughs> Be true to yourself. Be real to yourself. Number two, be real to God. I don't know, maybe this should have gone number one, but be real to God. You know, living authentically, living with the same walk means allowing God to put his finger on parts of our lives that need addressing. Sometimes we need other people to help us with that. David continues in Psalm 139, he goes, search me, O God, and know me. Talking about the inside, no any anxieties, no no any stuff, no any sin in me, any wicked way, and lead me into everlasting out of that. He had this lifestyle of repentance where he's always wanting to know, is there anything that I'm doing that's offending you? Is there any lie that I'm believing in my life? Come on, be committed to spiritual growth. Be committed to having an open life in God, allowing Him to speak, allowing others to speak into you, allowing Him to change you from the inside, so that we can move forward with our lives. God's not going to take you forward if you're not real with Him. If you will not be real with God, He will not be real with you. You know, we got to allow, like Peter eventually did, Jesus to check His feet. Reality is, God already knows, right? God already knows. So just be real with him. <laughs> it's not like he doesn't know. <laughs> anyway, truth number, where are we at? Truth number three, the last one. Maybe we could have the band come play quietly behind me. That'd be great. Be real to yourself, be real to God, and be real to others. Be real to others. Engage with people who know how to ask the right questions in your life. Make yourself accountable to someone who you can trust. And I mean, really trust, and know well. Someone you can give the right to ask uncomfortable questions. Someone who cares and is looking out for you. I've got a few people in my life at any time can ask uncomfortable questions. How am I doing in this particular area? What's going on in that particular thing? We should all have several people who we've given permission to, to challenge, to correct, to speak into areas of our life. Why? Because guess what? It's hard to see the soles of your feet. Particularly when you get a bit older, it's kind of hard to see. It's a whole lot easier to do this, right? There's nothing on my feet, is it? It's hard to see our own souls. We've we got to have other people to check them for us sometimes. Hey, you've stood something. Let me help you get that off. That's why we need each other. Maybe it's time we ask God, hey, God, how's my walk looking? How's my walk looking? Maybe it's time to get a foot check. Because I reckon God wants to clean feet. He wants to clean our hearts. Well, let's bow our heads and we just pray. Jesus, I thank you that your motivation is for us and for our freedom. You're not interested in really anything else but our redemption, our deliverance, our salvation, and our freedom. Thank you for every person here today, every person listening to this online. And thank you, God, for your purpose and your plans for our lives. Thank you that what you are doing, what you will always be doing, is working in us from the inside out. And I pray, God, for a humility to come about us. And we wouldn't be like Peter, who's like, you're not touching my feet, God. You're not going there. As you lead us as a community into community, maybe model well what it looks like to live in an authentic relationship with you and with others. When people come into this place, they're not going to see plastic veneer. They're not going to see pretense. They're not going to see people who are pretending to live like they think they should, but they're going to see real lives who are being touched by a real God, who are being saved, who are being delivered, who have been healed. And that in turn, we will see others be saved, healed, and delivered, and walking into freedom. Father, I thank you, even right now, for the many, many, many families that are going to see our example, come into the light that we're shining, and see you in it, and see that unconditional love, not judgment, but love, your grace, God, being poured out. Father, you would take us on this journey. I thank you, Father, for the many people that each one of you are going to reach out to. And share the love of God, not because you're perfect, but because He is perfect. Not because of your great work, but because of His great work. Not because of your performance, but because of the performance of Christ and what He's done in you. Jesus, I thank you. Come wash our feet. Come check our feet. Let us walk well together. I pray in Jesus' name. This would be a great time for the pastor of the church to pull out a big bucket and wash your feet. It ain't going to happen. I told you, I do not like toes. Thanks for listening. For more information about Aspire Church, find and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Or check out our website, aspirechurch.org.nz. We'd love to see you on Sundays, 10am, 101 Hardy Street.